Noble Dairy Queen's new summer blizzard menu is back and it is stacked. Dive right into the summer celebration with their new peanut butter cookie dough party blizzard. You can sink your red spoon into their world famous DQ soft serve filled with delicious chunks of chocolate chip cookie dough, swirls of creamy peanut butter topping and peanut brittle crunch with sprinkles. If the peanut buttery flavor isn't your jam, their fresh take on cobbler a la mode certainly will. Say hello to the Picnic Peach Cobbler Blizzard. You can also let your taste buds crumble with the ultimate cookie blizzard that features Oreo, Chips Ahoy, and Nutter Butter pieces. Dairy Queen knows everyone loves a good comeback, and fan-favorite blizzard flavors Frosted Animal Cookie, Brownie Batter, and Cotton Candy have made their triumphant return. Summer Blizzard flavors are now available at your Noble Dairy Queen stores with locations in Kankakee, Bourbonnet, Moments, and Mantino. Happy tastes good. People tend to stick to Hello and welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and before we get to today's guest, I wanted to let you know about some upcoming events happening here in the area, including Heroes, Hogs, and Hot Rods. It's happening this Saturday, June 10th at the Square on 2nd in downtown Mantino from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. It includes a classic car show, barbecue competition, mental health and veterans resource fair, beer tent, and much more. This festival is hosted by the nonprofit organization Project Headspace and Timing. It's their biggest fundraiser of the year. You can learn more at projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Saturday, June 17th at 11 a.m., you can head on over to the Kankakee County Museum to learn shocking new discoveries between Abraham Lincoln and Kankakee. Tom George, who is currently the vice president of the Kalamazoo Abraham Lincoln Lincoln Institute will discuss the connections he discovered between Kankakee and Abraham Lincoln. You can visit the Kankakee County Museum's Facebook page for more details. And that's a free event. And lastly, the annual summer solstice sip, shop, and stroll is coming up at the B. Harley Bradley House in Kankakee on June 20th from 5 to 8 p.m. Tickets are $10 and they can be purchased at Wright 1900. Dot org, right? Obviously, being spelled with a W. And uh, if you would like your community event to be mentioned here on Kankakee Podcast, you can email me the information to Lamore Media LLC at gmail.com for consideration. Now, let's get to today's episode. It is June, which means it is Pride Month. I don't know when this started, but I'm sure we're going to get into that. But there is a local organization, a local group here in the Kankakee area that call themselves the Kankakee Area LGBTQ Network. And it is uh, headed by Matthew Heading Hess, or Matt, most yes. people. I don't know anyone that calls you Matthew. Just my mom. Or just, <laughs> right? When you're in trouble, probably. Matthew? Uh-huh. Anyway, Matt, welcome to 
to Kankakee Podcast. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here and uh, great to introduce to some people that may not know that there is a LGBTQ network in the Kankakee area. I guess first, before we dive into the network and Pride Month, we'll talk a little bit about you. What is Matt's history in Kankakee, in the Kankakee area? Yeah. Well, I grew up in Clifton, so I'm an Iroquois County boy, but I'm much more of a city guy than most other Clifton people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't think you didn't come in wearing boots. I I don't think you drive a big pickup truck. Drive my tractor to school day, not today. No, no. Well, they did, you know, they probably still do they that. They do it. They? Yes, it's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> and and nothing, no knock on any of those people, obviously, no, by the no. way, but that's just yeah. obviously there's the uh, the fun stereotypes yeah. of each area of, <laughs> of Kankakee, right? Of yeah. Iroquois. Surrounding areas, yeah. yeah. So I grew up in Clifton after high school, basically moved to Mantino and have lived in Kankakee County since I was well, probably the past trying to do the math here, probably about 18 years now. So I've been here forever, got married here, and now raising my family here, living in Kankakee now. I am a local therapist, contracted with the Kankakee School District now, but I've worked with young people forever, just as long as I've, since I was 22, worked uh, at Indian Oaks Academy and, and worked in the area forever. That's a little bit about me as far as coming up here. For the sake of the topic, I came out as gay when I was 19, just right after, basically after a semester at college. Today, the kind of um, evolution of it all is, you know, as I've kind of gotten into my professional career in the community, one thing, one gap that I found is that I knew growing up here that there wasn't anything for LGBTQ people here. We, We existed. We're here. A lot of people that I knew growing up moved away as soon as they could, moved to the city. So wanting to stay here and build my family here, I'm like, there should be something else going on here. This is, you know, we're about an hour from any sort of real services and resources, so north or south. So it's kind of part of my mission getting into the mental health field was to also have some services here or some a network. I applaud you for that. I truly do because I have a real heart and a real passion or compassion for the people that decided to stay and not move out of the area and take on something that needed to happen yeah, and something that needed some awareness to it. So good for you for sticking around. And I understand not everyone is meant to stay and live in their hometown. I totally get that. I am not against the people that moved out and they were able to better themselves elsewhere. But the people that stayed behind and were like, you know what, I'm going to create something here Mm -hmm. in my hometown that is not here. Yeah. To me, that's an even harder task (laughs) because you already have a reputation because you grew up here. So it's almost like trying to overcome some of those things that maybe people already know about you, yeah. but aren't necessarily yeah. true or yeah. all that. So good for you, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. It's It's been exciting and it's been fun though, too. You know, like knowing the culture here too has made it, I can make these services and resources 
what's right for Kankakee County, too. So it's been fun, an exciting little side project, I think. So as far as you know, the Kankakee Area LGBTQ Network, there's nothing else that existed before it, right, that you know of? Or maybe there was something and it was just very hush-hush? Yeah, so not not formally. I'll tell you a little bit of the evolution of where we got here. So in 2015, I was working for a mentoring project with the Kankakee County Probation, and we had a couple of young people who um, part of that mentoring project was to hook them up with services. And we had a couple of LGBTQ young people that I was mentoring, and knowing that there was nothing here, one of the things that the director of the probation department told me was, like, start something. <laughs> and so I kind of had the opportunity to start. We just started, like, a—it was called Outside the Lines— and it was a youth support drop-in group. We just met once a week, once every other week, don't remember at this point, and just had a chance for these young people to be around other like-minded young people. So that was kind of how I got really passionate about it. And through that process, met a ton of people that were kind of doing, not kind of, they were doing some of this work of having spaces for people. One of the main people was Barb Lorbach, who was previously the pastor at St. John's United Church of Christ. And she, as the only open and affirming church for like a 60-mile radius at the time hosted Kankakee and Iroquois County's PFLAG chapter, which is PFLAG is a parents group for parents of LGBTQ young people. And so it was it was one of those groups that kind of had a hard time taking off because one of the problems is we can't – because there's not been formal services here or formal things here, there's not always – a way to connect to everybody. Um, and I think that's one of the hard parts and, and why we kind of got to do the network. But I met Barb through that process. And prior to that, I knew that there were more informal things. Like we had a gay bar at one point. Um, in we did? Where? We did. So it's where, I think it's called... Oh, I don't want to mess this one up. I think it's where Jags is now. It's right along the railroad tracks on yeah, Skyler. Okay. So I don't remember what it was called. I'm a, I'm a bad person for that one. But yeah, we've, was we've it had the, it there. Like right, was it the name right before Jags? Or was it? Uh, it's been probably, I had just turned 21 when it was the gay bar. And it was only there for one, maybe two years. Children are naturally drawn to art and the creative process. For them, it can be a form of expression as they explore the materials, gain confidence, and feel a sense of competency as they create something based on their own ideas and efforts. That's why Little Me's studio in Bourbon A created the Big Kids Art Lab for ages 5 to 12. Little Me's studio crafted this safe space for your big kid to slow down, be in the moment, and be comfortable making messes while trying something new. Big Kids Art Lab meets every Thursday from 4.30 to 5.30 p.m. at Little Me Studio across the street from Olivet Nazarene University in Bourbon A. Studies indicate that art making has so many positive effects for the brain, body, mind, and heart. Enroll in one class at littlemestudio.com or sign up for the entire session and save. littlemestudio.com to sign up for Big Kids Art Lab. Make sure you follow Little Me Studio on Facebook and Instagram. I bet if you say the name, I would recognize it. But just thinking off the top of my head, because obviously, yeah. like everyone else, I've driven by there many times. Mm -hmm. Because you go see a movie at Paramount, you're 
bound to, mm-hmm. I guess, depending on what area you're, you're coming from, but I was usually coming from Mantino or sure. Bourbon A. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I'm going to drive down Schuyler and I'm mm-hmm. going to go past yep. where Jag's Bar is now. Yeah. But yep. nothing strikes my yeah. I know I can't remember what the, the name, name of it, it now. And someone's screaming at us. They're like, "It was this," <laughs> yes. and we're like, "Oh, of course it was." Absolutely, absolutely. So that was there um, for a short time, and I mean, I, from what I remember about my early twenties, you know, or that my I, it was when I turned twenty-one. It was pretty happen place. I mean, they hosted like drag shows and things like that. And around that time, I think some places were trying to host drag shows locally too, and even at straight bars. So that and then i know that there's been like other again sort of informal groups um there's one called the kanka queers that existed when i was actually younger than 21 i maybe still just out of high school so that was another group of it was i don't even know it was like an aol instant messenger group honestly yes Um, (laughs) yes so you know these groups have existed and and again kind of reiterating we've always been around here and LGBT people have lived here forever. There's just nothing been really formalized and a way for us all to connect. So about five years ago now, Barb and I got together after Outside the Lines kind of lost its steam. The PFLAG had closed the chapter there. And we were saying, like, something needs to happen. You know, we need to kind of put our minds together and do something. And so we talked and decided to start a Facebook, private Facebook group. And in that group, we just invited literally every queer person we knew. And it has since grown to, I think we're at like 750 people. It's not all LGBT people at this point. Lots of allies, people that, service providers that jump in and provide info about stuff that they've got going on, things like that. But it's then expanded to now we're on Instagram and kind of share a lot of our events. So four years ago is when we did our first picnic. And so we kind of evolved and done different events and things like that. Really, the purpose of it was to just have a space where we can all communicate with each other about things that are going on. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, people share, I always like to say people share looking for an affirming doctor all the way to like, hey, I'm going out to karaoke tonight. Who wants to come? And they just network together for that purpose. So evolving from that, we've decided to start doing formal events since then. So now we do, like I said, the Pride Picnic every summer. We do teen meetups. Um, there's a mom who runs a teen meetup group. There's That's every meetups. month, right? Every month, yeah. 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 So, and it's just kind of taking on a life of its own, which I think is amazing. And that was absolutely the purpose of it, just to communicate with each other. About a year in to doing it, I saw an infographic online that had all the counties in the United States and counties that were colored in have a higher percent or higher ratio than the national average of LGBTQ people. And I was shocked to find that Kankakee County was colored in. And I was like, see, this is what I knew all along. We're here. We just don't all know about <laughs> each other. So yeah, Kankakee County has a higher rate of LGBTQ people than the national average even. would never know that. Yeah. I never yeah. knew that until today. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. amazing. Kind of a cool stat, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it really is. And, and I think it's good for people to know that and understand that. And obviously there's so many things when it comes to the LGBTQ community and the network itself, though. Maybe starting with with you personally, what was it like for you personally to grow up in Kankakee County and and coming out and was it I just hear a lot usually a kid knows at a very young age it's that they are not the straight 
person yep. that they're something else. Does that usually end up being the case or is that just a yeah. misconception? I mean, what's the, I guess, the data or the, the yeah. information on that? Mm-hmm. The no, facts? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the facts, and, I, and I, I can only share my lived experience. I knew something was different about me very early on. I mean, like 10, 11 years old. It wasn't until I hit puberty and started actually being attracted to people that I realized, oh, like, this is what that was. And I think that's pretty common for gay and lesbian and bisexual people to realize that this is something because it's attraction related. You don't necessarily have attractions prior to that. But before that, one of the things that people kind of reference is like feeling like you have these sort of like attractions to people when really they're just like, this person is like me and I don't even know. There's like a vibe about people sometimes that you can kind of tell, right? It, sometimes it's called a gaydar or something like that, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's really common for people to say like around puberty, they realize that they weren't necessarily attracted to the opposite sex or, you know, a different sex. For trans people though, you know, like want to talk research and data, there is Lurie's um, Hospital in Chicago actually did a huge research on trans and non-binary people. And the research really does show that by about two to three years old, a person differentiates between the sexes, right? Like my son is just getting to that point where he can differentiate there's boys and there's girls. And, you know, and we're trying to make sure that he knows that, that it's a little bit more expansive than that. But by five, research suggests that people associate themselves with a gender. And so with young people, they, what they would refer to as gender, non, or gender nonconforming children, they really are, especially in a world that's a little bit more accepting and more talks about this stuff more, kids are coming out and saying, like, I, I'm not a boy or I'm not a girl. And they they share how they feel much, much younger. And that's a controversial statement. I mean, yes, you know, it it's, is. It's and a, we're dealing with all the politics of it right now. Right. And not to say that we're taking sides in this conversation, but I would like to talk about that and get mm-hmm. into that and talk about, I guess, kind of both sides and mm-hmm. what is research Shown, And I mm-hmm. guess that's what you're getting into now. But yeah. can a child really know by that age? Because the argument is, well, they don't know. They're just five years old. Right. How do they know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And well, and then, and that's right. So the, the research is suggesting that they they do know. And so what they did in this in this study, they followed these kids. Right. They kept tabs on them and they did what. What research and um, best practice would suggest for parents who come to them and say, like, hey, my kid is saying they're transgender, what do I do, Um, would be to say, like, uh, socially allowing them to transition. So using a name that they feel comfortable with, using pronouns that they feel comfortable with, letting them explore toys and clothes and not putting labels on those things, which, you know, I think as a society, we're moving in that direction where my son has a doll and he also is super into monster trucks. Um, And that's okay to like both of those things. They're not gendered, right? And clothes too, like, Allowing a person to explore and play with identity a little bit when they're that young. And so social transition is just this idea of referring to that person. There's no medical things that are happening for these children. There's no surgeries that are happening for these children. Really just allowing them to socially explore these different identities, right? And so what they did is they followed these young people and they look for something called persistence. Is did they continue to say that they identified as 
this gender or this sex. And what they found was that the majority of young people who were gender nonconforming as children did in fact persist. Uh, a large number of them came out as gay, lesbian, or bisexual later in life. A smaller percentage of them persisted to be transgender growing up in life. And then an even smaller percentage of them did end up coming out as non-binary or kind of like uh, outside of that gender spectrum. So in my opinion, again, as a parent as an, and as a mental health professional too, like there's no really harm in allowing a kid to play with all the toys, to explore and play with all the clothes and things like that. There's nothing that's permanent that, by doing that. In fact, I think you're just giving kids like I, I love that my son plays with dolls because I think he'll be a nurturing father because we allowed him to play and and take care of a baby doll and things like that. Whereas a lot of people I know growing up were told you absolutely cannot touch <laughs> that doll. Like boys don't do dolls, right? Boys, yeah. So no harm in that. I think it's actually a good thing to allow people to just play and, and whatever. The research then would suggest that once they um, approach puberty, then it's a point to start talking about puberty blockers, which... Puberty blockers, again, very political sort of like thing being talked about right now. Yeah, what are puberty um, blockers? Puberty blockers is exactly what it sounds like. It pauses puberty from happening. So it's a medication that it would just hold off any puberty changes from happening until that young person is old enough to decide whether they want to start hormones, whether they want to start their period, things like that. That can be, you know, if it just was allowed to consider, continue naturally, it would be really dysphoric for that person. They would really have a hard, like if a to use example of like a trans male, if this person identifies as a male and is starting their period, which is traumatic enough for most young ladies, it pauses that until they can get to the point where they can start hormone therapy or not. Um, and so it's completely reversible. So if they stopped puberty blockers, they would start puberty immediately. And it's actually, you know, like one of the things that I also hear a lot too is that it's, we shouldn't be using it for this population specifically, but straight and cisgender kids use puberty blockers too. Research is showing that um, young people are starting their periods younger and younger and younger. And so straight and cisgender people use it to pause people from starting their period too young. And so it's not it's not a medication that's only for LGBT people, um, just like hormone therapy is not just for LGBT people. They use it for other things as well. So that that's an example with holding off on periods starting until. Yeah, I'd be curious to know why puberty or. Uh, you know, the, the menstrual cycle is happening younger and younger. I, that's definitely not an area yeah, where I, I know. know. That's, However, I, st yeah. steroids in our food is a, is a big uh, culprit <clears throat> from what I understand. That's, okay. And then, again, there's lots of research ab about hormone therapy, too, and that starting once a person kind of is old enough to see fit that they would keep up with medications and things like that, hormones do cause permanent changes. So, like... Once you start hormone therapy, there are some things that won't disappear, you know, like your testosterone would cause you to grow hair in places that doesn't just stop if you were to stop testosterone. Same thing with estrogen. If you take it, you'll start to grow breasts and that doesn't just go away if you stop taking it. So a lot of that as a, as a mental health provider, I've had a lot of people come to me and I have to write letters for them that they're mentally fit to start hormone therapy. Again, getting into the more serious things, however... You wait to do that until a person is old enough to make that decision to keep up with their hormones and is fit to maintain hormones and, and do that. Is there a law in place for that right now to where they have to be like 18 or, in, or is it? It doesn't more? have to be 18. 
and there's not a law in Illinois. That's one of the controversial things that's happening in some of these southern states or, you know, more conservative states where they're putting in place like this idea of gender affirming care, even though research suggests that it is the absolute best practice in medical fields. All medical organizations suggest that it is the safest um, and it's regulated and it's evidence based. People are trying to put age restrictions on it and say you have to be an adult. But no, they I don't know exactly like where these medical professionals would say to start. But I would say most people that I know that start these hormones start 15, 16 and older. And a lot of people I work with specifically, even in adulthood, are just starting hormone therapy because it wasn't a thing that was seen as evidence-based and safe a decade ago, maybe. Um, even though it was, they, they were we know very well that it works, it's effective, it's safe, and also that it actually has really great effects on people's mental health. I think I just read recently that young people who are affirmed in their gender, it's suicide is cut in half. The suicide rate is cut in half. And I mean, that's something to be said, you know, like, and that's everything from respecting their pronouns when they say this, I want to be called he and him, um, all the way to receiving hormones and support and, and having hormones. So what's the process you go through when you are trying to figure out if this person is mentally where they say they are and they're like, you know, I am a man, mm-hmm. I am not a woman. Mm-hmm. And so they say to you, I want to be trans. Mm-hmm. So what's that process like then trying to well, figure out if that's for sure, like they're not losing their marbles like yeah. they are. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, and most evidence would say that very rarely is it a case of losing their marbles. Well, you, you know, know what? But totally. Yes. That's no. the stigma, yeah. right? And, I mean, and what I'm looking for as a provider is I'm looking for that same persistence that they talked about for children too, is that they, that this is something they've continuously wanted and they've expressed wanting to do this just to be able to go through mental health therapy and talk about all the changes that maybe hormone therapy might cause. It's not all pleasant to start hormones. And so um, being able to gauge can their mental capacity sort of maintain and their emotional regulation maintain some of these changes that are going to happen? But I'm looking for that persistence. I'm looking for a support circle, too. Of are the people around them going to support this? That's important to continue on as well. Because if they don't, do you not suggest it? Um, if they not, don't have the support circle? I not mean, necessarily, but I mean, especially for young people, I'm going to make sure that the parents are included. I mean, oftentimes what I find, too, is... People will send their kids to mental health therapy, even not just to start hormones, but like they come out as transgender. And so they're the parent wants to send the kid to therapy, which is fine, except most often I find that the parent's the one that needs the therapy to process this change. The kid has thought about this for most of their life. They feel different. They have had lots of time to process this. Meanwhile, the parents are just finding this out. This is new information and they need someone to process with and understand what this looks like for them, too. It's a big change for them. I would think, yeah, both of them are going to need mm-hmm. therapy or I sh- two parents. Usually they yeah. both the parents and the, the child or children mm-hmm. are going to need therapy if it's a shock to the system for yeah. both of them. Yeah, absolutely. And even if it's not a shock to the system, I'm sure it's still a big change for that parent trying to filter all those memories. Mm-hmm. That has to be one of the hardest yeah. parts, I would imagine. What I'm curious to know, and I'm sure you know some of this just from all your research, and I mean, you are an advocate for this. It's been the argument for years that 
someone who is trans could possibly be mentally ill because they want to be trans. Now, mm -hmm. how is that deciphered? How is that? What's the research on that? If, I don't know if you can answer that, but yeah, just like being gay, that was a mental illness until 1970, 1974, maybe is what I'm coming up with in my mind. That pretty recently, fairly recently, removed from our diagnostic man manual. Being transgender, this gender identity disorder was more recently removed as a mental illness diagnosis. Um, I think like early 2000s removed. So... You know, I mean, that's what we as providers, that's evidence-based across, you know, all of our professional organizations as well. That's what we use to diagnose anything. And they've, uh, there's been a consensus among professionals that that's not a mental illness. So as far as I'm concerned, like that's where I would defer to is it's not a mental illness. The mental illness part of it is the dysphoria that's caused. So this the, they've replaced gender identity disorder in the DSM. It's called gender dysphoria, which is really just this idea that a person is caused significant distress by living in a world where their identity is not affirmed. They look in the mirror and they don't see how they feel. And so that causes significant distress in their life. Not that having the dysphoria is the illness, but that the societal pressure to look a certain way if you're a man or to look a certain way if you're a woman causes a lot of distress for a person. And so, again, you know, when we talk about gender affirming care, gender affirming care is found to decrease dysphoria. So it is the best practice, whether that's respecting pronouns at school, in your family, all the way to having hormone therapy to affirm physically how you identify as well. And I would think part of it too, the reason why it's no longer considered a mental illness is because it's probably been found if the person has been accepted to be trans or if that person has received the transition that they wanted, they can live a healthy life, right? Mentally yeah. and yeah. physically as as I would assume that has something to do with it as well. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people think this is a really new subject. And there's just like with homosexuality, it's been uh, documented for all of mankind, basically. Studies and research with gender identity um, and transgender people was happening well before like World War II. I know is a, is a big, I've read about this a couple of times recently, um, but something I kind of knew. There was a researcher, I think his name is Hirschfeld who was studying transgender people in Germany. He had a huge library with all this research. And with World War II, that was the burning of his building and all of his research was one of the big book burnings of World War II. And so, and of course, as you can imagine, that was a population that was targeted. Oh, yeah. Um, and so a lot of the research that we had on transgender people was destroyed in that burning. So... Again, we've been around forever and people have attempted to research us and understand our existence. And then people come in with ulterior motives to destroy that research from happening because it doesn't align with some sort of moral or value that they have. I think that that's an important thing to remember is that we've been around forever. There is plenty of evidence that people can live full, healthy, happy lives being transgender and that it is often improved when we affirm their identity rather than try to force them into a box. And, and you know, I always go back to the nature part of it too, right? Homosexuality exists in 
almost all animal species. To me, that's evidence that it's natural. <laughs> um, and same thing goes for this ideal of having just two sexes and this you have to fit in this box or this box. It doesn't apply to the animal kingdom either. And so to me, that is evidence that it's natural to have a spectrum of gender and presentation and expression, not just make people fit into two boxes. And that's how they should live the rest of their life. I know there's another misconception that the LGBTQ community is forcing sexuality on these kids and, and teaching them about all this sex stuff. Yeah. But I guess, and you know, maybe some are and they shouldn't be. There's a bad apple in every group. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. oh, totally. Just coming from your professional opinion. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that I encourage parents to do is, again, just allowing that exploration isn't indoctrination, right? Like allowing a person to kind of explore who they are and how what clothes they see, feel comfortable in, what toys they like to play with, what roles they like to play, those sorts of things is healthy and important for all kids, not just these kids that I would say identify as LGBTQ. As far as, you know, that, that sort of ideal of indoctrination or kind of forcing these sexual things on kids, that's one differentiation that I think is important to make is that these gender identity and gender expression things are not sexual. It's not sexual to f just exist as a man or a woman. I, I understand feeling like if I was kind of like recruiting people to be gay or lesbian or bisexual, that might be one thing that would be very strange. <laughs> that would be very um, wrong. Yeah. You know. But truthfully, we and, and we've kind of come as a society, we've come to accept that kids, young people can be gay and lesbian and bisexual and they have sexual sexualities and that doesn't have to be forced or, you know, we don't go knocking on doors telling people about the homosexual community. And I think that that's an important distinction. These people are discovering that on their own. And uh, it just, you know, just the distinction between LGB people um, and this gender stuff, especially there's there's no people are looking for ways to kind of I know plenty of families who are looking for help because their kids are coming to them and saying, I'm a boy. And so what do I do? And the truth is letting a kid explore and kind of come into their own identity is okay. Um, it's not, that's not forcing anyone into anything. But people get really uncomfortable about when we try to challenge the binary boxes that you got to be, a man has to look like this and do all these things and a girl has to do this and look like this. It doesn't, we know that it's BS, <laughs> but it, people get really uncomfortable when we try to challenge it. I want to say for the record, I've been guilty of going up to women that are more masculine mm -hmm. and saying like, wow, I should just call you a man. You mm -hmm. know, I've said things like that and it was wrong mm -hmm. for me to say that. And, you know, it's vice versa. It's yeah. just you learn, you learn, it, right? you, you learn. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm more of a sensitive guy than the next guy, probably, you know, so mm -hmm. I'm not macho man over here. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, but I'm straight. So, yeah. you know, I always say too, like young people are going to change the world. And I, I know like every generation probably says that and whatever, but young people understand this stuff way more than even I do. Right. Like there are still things that happen. Kids that come to me and will explain something or kind of identify a certain way. And I'm like, I just don't get that. I don't understand. <laughs> really? You know? Even yourself? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes for sure. Can you think I'm an example? keep me young. One doesn't come to mind. Uh -huh. But just in general, they understand this sort of spectrumness way more than I do. I think I, I 
just like you are still, I'm still guilty of times when I still fall into those like guys should do a certain thing. I find that all the time raising a son too, that those sort of things that come out of my mouth that I'm like, that's not how I really feel, <laughs> but that's, that's, you know, what's ingrained in me a little bit. Yeah. Um, young people don't have those bias. A lot of young people don't have those biases. They understand the spectrumness and they understand that people are people and that they're you know, unique and, and it's not a bad thing to be an emotional guy. It's not a, a bad thing to be, you know, a, a strong, muscular woman or right, those things. I just want to reiterate that, like, I think we're in the midst of a generation change, too, where we're still on the tail end of really understanding all of this stuff, whereas I feel like my kids' as kids are just going to, this is going to be second nature and totally understood. What are some other things that you want people to come together and and see misconceptions about the LGBTQ community and things like that? I think my first and most biggest, biggest advice, I would say, is to meet someone who is LGBT. It's easy to sit kind of in our box and say like, oh, like that's indoctrination. You're trying to change someone. You're trying to do this. You're sexualizing someone. All of that changes when you are face to face with a person and kind of can understand their experience when they can talk about what it was like growing up. What's it like walking down the street in Kankakee as a trans person? Like all these things, like go out of your way and meet someone, introduce yourself, ask some of those questions. I think sometimes people get worried that it's insensitive to ask some questions, but most LGBTQ people I know want to to educate and want to help people see that they're human beings. Because so, that's the, the main goal at the yeah. end of the day, right? Yeah, Is absolutely. The community just wants to be accepted mm-hmm. and absolutely. live a normal life yeah, like the, everyone else does. Yeah. Have happiness. You know, I mean, my mom always talks about this, you know, when I um, came out her biggest fear or worry that I was was that I was going to grow up and not have a partner to take care of me when she was gone and not have a family which she knew was something that I desperately wanted that was always her biggest fear and I mean that was a real thing when she was growing up all of the gay people that she knew in school grew up to be old single men or you know whatever and didn't have families because it wasn't allowed they weren't allowed to get married or adopt children or or they were experiencing the AIDS crisis and being a gay person when she graduated high school in 1978 was very different than being a gay person graduating high school in 2003 when I did and even now a person graduating in 2023 it's very different for me we want to live happy fulfilling lives with the same sort of joys that everyone else has. And I think marriage equality was a huge part of that. We were married the year that it became legalized in Illinois. And just in the same way, trans people want to be able to just exist in the world and not be asked about why they're in X, Y, and Z bathroom, why they're taking what medications. Like most of these things aren't out in the open and being done in the public. People are very worried about what people are doing behind closed doors. And I think that's always one of the things that frustrates me the most is like, why do you care so much about what I'm doing in my bedroom, what I'm doing in my home? I think that's a frustrating 
part of all of this is oftentimes it's people concerned and worried about what's happening in my private life that makes them really uncomfortable, which always feels really creepy to me. (laughs) That's understandable because I think it's just because it's so outside of the norm to to them that they're just so curious that they just, they have to know. And also just pointing out there are extremists in every group or every movement. Mm -hmm. So to rope you in with the extremists that are in the LGBTQ community may not be right. And then the same goes for Republican, a Democrat, a independent, whatever you are. Mm -hmm. Every group has their extremists. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I kind of wanted to bring up too is that part of it is in addition to not meeting someone or knowing someone that lives in this community and kind of having being able to understand their existence, one of the things that I, the mission that I kind of set out to do with the network was to also do these one-on-one trainings. And so I've been all over the county with businesses and with groups of people doing one-on-one trainings where it can talk about the language. Like they can ask me, like I I kind of always start this training by saying, I'm an open book. I'm not going to get offended by your like poorly worded or offensive questions, you can ask me. And so those are opportunities for people to have conversations and be corrected or to ask questions and get answers on things that they kind of are curious about and not have to be worried about being offended. What do you get asked about the most? Pronoun stuff is really confusing for people. I think that that's that's one like why or like lots of like, why does there have to be so much language? Why does it have to be so confusing and, and so bothersome? I think that people get frustrated, like inconvenienced by having to like think about pronouns or things like that. Think about language. That's the majority, the biggest chunk of a one-on-one training too, is like, here's the language, here's how it kind of applies and like how we flow and, you know, and it's always changing and, and updating, you know, like. A, and I, maybe I think that's the frustrating part it's is totally, the constant. <laughs> absolutely. The, yeah. That it, the fact that it changes. I mean, what, you know, one example that I get a lot is like when I use the word queer older people are like, why do you say that? Right. Because when I was in school, it was a thing that I was called as a slur down the hallway. Right. But today it's kind of being taken back by the community and say like, well, it actually is a good word that describes us in an umbrella way. Like it it describes my gender identity and my sexual orientation under this umbrella. So rather than saying I identify as LGBTQ plus, they might say say I identify as queer. It's Um, easier to say that's for sure. Yeah, (laughs) and for sure. And again, what I would tell people who are asking questions about that is like, if you're not doing it in malice, if you're not yelling, hey, queer down the hallway to me, that's very different than saying, oh, this is my queer friend, Matt, you know, not that people introduce people that way. But, um, (laughs) you know, that's a very different thing if it's being asked in malice or said in malice, then that's very different. So, again, that basic human respect piece is having spaces to ask questions. And that's an important part to me about the network is like, who's even having these conversations with organizations and businesses and groups of people that are in our community? And the answer was, nobody's really having those conversations. So it's it's helpful to have someone that just facilitates those discussions too. And so that's, I just kind of want to put that out that that's always an option. And I've kind of committed to do that forever, as long as people will have me to just have those discussions. I could see so many benefits Mm -hmm. from that just because of the constant change Mm -hmm. and you don't always know. I figured you were going to tell me the pronoun thing was what you get asked (laughs) about the most, you know, the, the, they, them, Mm -hmm. you know, he, she, he, him, that kind of thing. Um, And then there's, 
Is that it, or is there more than that? There's there's lots there's of pronouns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those. So uh, pronouns outside of those three are called neo pronouns, and I think I've even met fewer people that use those. Yeah, um, and and they they do get a little confusing. I always tell people in these trainings, like if you meet someone who says, like for example, I go to a camp every year and met someone who uses zim and zer pronouns, which oh are gosh. very similar to he him and his pronouns and how they're used, but. My thing was, I've never met someone who uses those pronouns. And so I went up to this person and just said, like, hey, never met someone who uses these Zim and Zir pronouns. Would you mind using them in sentence so I so I know I'm using them properly? And me and this person became good friends and had it was a great conversation starter. Like, that's a safe way. It's totally appropriate to ask, again, not in malice, questions about how you can do something in a more affirming way. So yes, it can get kind of muddy and confusing, but it's never a bad thing to connect with somebody and just ask questions and um, and have a sort of real human moment with someone like that. And I think that's powerful and helpful. People get mad about they, them, and their pronouns, but that's silly because we all do, we already use those. <laughs> well, those are are getting to be at this point well known. I guess yeah. more and more people are are familiar with they and them. Mm-hmm. I personally, I. Just because of how the English language is, it sounds weird just because of, like I said, how the English language is. So most of the time I just say the person's name. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's offensive no. or not, but that's usually just what I do just yeah. because yeah. it sounds, for me, it just personally sounds weird with the way English is supposed to be. And it's not a knock against what they yeah. prefer. Yeah. I just usually just say their name. Yeah. And and, and, I, and my challenge to people usually is, I guarantee that you've used they pronouns when you don't know a person's gender. Like if someone's talking about their friend, Sam, you would say like, oh, where do they go to school at? Naturally. But when someone asks you to do it, not, not you particularly, but no, when I someone asks someone to do it, it's all of a sudden like, I'm scared I'm going to screw it up. And so I get pissed off that I'm being inconvenienced, Mm -hmm. but we definitely do it naturally. We use they pronouns as a gender neutral pronoun already. Mm -hmm. We just don't notice that we do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's true. I could, I could see some of that. What are some other things that you want the Kankakee area to know about the network and just about the community as a whole? I want to put out there that we exist and that the the network exists and that there's a place to reach out for if you have questions, if you want to connect with people who might be able to answer some questions for you. I've invited parents into the network group just to say like, hey, your kid's asking questions that you're not sure about. Like, just jump in here and type in the question to the group. And it is literally the best group of people to answer and and provide lived experience to people because I'm not a spokesperson for the whole LGBTQ community. And I love that I have feel like I have a place I can turn to and say like, hey, you know, like I know someone who's looking for this. What do we do here? You know? And so I love that people have a place to turn. I love that there's a group of people who are here advocating for this community. Like that's another thing. Unfortunately, our community is not 100% safe and 100% providing for everything that LGBTQ people need here. And so we are advocating and we're always encouraging people to join in advocacy efforts. Um, The example I like to give is like neither of our hospitals provide endocrinologists that are willing to see transgender patients. That's a problem for me. Why? Why won't they see? (laughs) It's a great question. Is it because they're just not familiar with the physical makeup or as far as i know that's that's all i've well no i mean they received that training yeah already okay it had i mean 
my personal belief is that it has to be something to do with just a bias and, and not wanting to kind of like expand your practice in that way. I'm not sure, but I've been told that no endocrinologists that work for X, Y, and Z hospital are willing to get extra training or see trans patients. And so that leaves trans people that live here in a community with two huge hospitals traveling an hour to get hormone therapy. That's one of those things that I just think is not acceptable. Like, it's just silly that we won't do that. And so I'm always kind of advocating for that, like that to change. And I know lots of people do the same thing because it's not convenient to drive to places where they can receive their hormones or even see a doctor that's willing to see them or that's affirming for them. So our community has room to grow. And so I love that there's a group here that's kind of willing to fight and kind of have those conversations in a respectful way when we can, right? (laughs) I just want people to know that the network exists and that that's what we exist for, is for all needs, sharing of resources and kind of bringing together a community of people that need, that can help each other. It doesn't have to be like, you know, a service provider saying like, here's what you need for this. Like, it's literally people that live here and are existing here and know what it's like to live here as an LGBTQ person helping each other, um, which I think is even better than a service provider coming in and doing it. I don't want people to listen to this episode and get like the wrong idea. I'm not trying to push an agenda on anyone. I just want people to know that this exists. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think it's important for people to at least know that these things are here and that they're happening. And then that person can decide. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, and and even though we've been around for four years now, a lot of that has been during COVID and you know, we weren't able to have as many events during that time as we would have liked. I still meet people all the time, young people especially, who like don't know we exist and they're so happy to see a rainbow flag at resource fairs and events. I just think about we we did an event where we were at the farmer's market um, one day and just the number of people that stopped by to just thank us just for being there. <laughs> it feels so good because again these people have been walking in our community and existing in our community forever and just never saw themselves reflected never got to experience that and so it feels very special and i completely respect that you know like you're going to have listeners who agree with what i'm saying and then people who adamantly disagree and i hope they don't turn the episode off uh, as soon as they hear me say young people can be transgender, because I, I'm not, there's lots of research and evidence to show that this community is better off when we're affirmed. And I think that, you know, as a mental health professional, like to me, if the evidence is there, like, why don't we just affirm these people and let them live? I don't know the exact statistics, but the the mortality age for trans people is way younger than the average person. Half of trans people attempt suicide at some point in their life. And it's usually because of not being yeah, accepted. It's all social stigma, totally. Yep. And so if if we can change that by trying hard to use the name that they prefer and the pronouns that they prefer, if we can change that by giving them medications that help them feel more comfortable in their body, like it just doesn't make sense to me why we should stop that. And uh, give them a place mm-hmm. in the community. Yeah, absolutely. So just because someone is trans doesn't make them a terrible person. Mm-hmm. They might be one of the nicest people you've ever met. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. most of them are. Yeah. And <laughs> the nicest people I've ever met, at least. It goes goes for uh, anything, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. whether it's religion, politics, color of skin, 
mm-hmm. all that mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I mean, nothing bad comes from opening your eyes a little bit wider and and learning something new about like the human existence, I feel like, you know. So I think that's I think that's really important. Like I said, I I think it's just really important for people to just at least know about it and know that it exists and then they mm-hmm. can decide for themselves what Absolutely. what they want to do. If I could just provide a little plug and say that if you're someone who's looking for resources or support um, or just to connect with um, LG, other LGBTQ people, like we can be followed on Facebook. It, it is a private group on Facebook. And so I kind of flag people a little bit there. But then if you want to follow along with events and just be a supporter, um, we're on Instagram as well. It's at k3.lgbtq.network. And we post events and just kind of what we're up to there. And of course, you can reach out to me in those places or directly if you ever have questions or need um, just connected with something. So, well, Matt, thank you for being a bridge, you know, and thank you for for staying in Kankakee County and, (laughs) and, you know, making a difference, you know, along with so many other people as well. It's not just you. It's a group effort. So, yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me and giving me a chance to kind of share some perspective and use your platform in that way. You're very welcome. That's that's what I'm here for. I, I try as hard as I can to make it for everyone. As yeah. long as we're not shaming and and on anyone, then I'm all for it. Yeah, absolutely. If you came on here and said straight people are, you know, <laughs> the worst people in the world and, you know, started talking hate about, you know, uh, then that would be different. Right. But I love my straight people. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's... And, you know, I could, I could end with that. That okay. is one thing that I think is a misnomer is straight people have sexual orientations and gender identities and gender expressions, too. And I think that we're... They do, we're, huh? we're, uh, Absolutely. How does that, so how does that work? What's, do, your, what's your gender expression? Like, how do you express your masculinity? <laughs> you have facial hair. Yeah. You wear certain ties of clothing. Yeah. And those are all... Your gender identity is cisgender. You, your sex assigned at birth matches the gender you identify with now. Your sexual orientation is heterosexual or straight you know i think the misnomer is that we're some sort of like other community but everyone has a sexual orientation and gender identity as well you're not you're not different than us in that way Mm -hmm. well that's a good point (laughs) now that i that now we're getting really technical and yeah yeah i could see that i could definitely see that yeah good thought to end on right Thank you again to Matt Heddinghess from the Kankakee Area LGBTQ Network for being on the podcast. I'd also like to add that you're invited to attend their annual Pride Picnic. That's this Sunday, June 11th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the main shelter at the Kankakee River State Park. It's all ages and you're encouraged to bring a dish to share, of course. This has been a blast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm Shake Lamore. And again, there was no agenda behind this episode. I merely just wanted to get more information about the LGBTQ community and give that information to you. And then you yourself can make the decision on what you believe or don't believe is right for yourself, your kids, whoever it is, your family. I just think it's important to educate ourselves in as many different things as possible, right? And that's what this podcast is all about. Thank you so much for listening. I have some really important Kankakee podcast news to share with you soon. I really think you're going to love. So make sure you follow us on social media and subscribe to us on all your favorite uh, podcast platforms so you don't 
miss the exciting announcement that's coming here in the next week or two. Thank you again for all your love and support, and I will talk with you next time on Kankakee Podcast. This river carries on.